Hello, welcome to God Day. I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. And today we want to talk about what the Lord Jesus can do in your life, in our life. And uh, it's demonstrated in the first great sign that he did, uh, turning water into wine. And he can turn our stagnant water into joyful wine. Praise God, if we will believe in him. In fact, this was the beginning of the signs that Jesus did, the very first miracle that he did to prove that he is the Son of God and that he has the power to totally transform us from the inside out. It's in John chapter 2. But before we look at this wonderful miracle, just want to point out the purpose of John's gospel is all about the signs. In John 20, verse 30, and 31, it says, truly did Jesus did many other signs. So in other words, John's gospel just picks a few of them. He did many signs in the presence of his disciples and which were not written in this book. But these, these signs were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So I want you to notice that the purpose of all of this is that we might receive life. We might receive transformation. We, and these, what this transformation is and what God wants to do in our lives comes through faith. We need to believe in Jesus because he's the one that does it, but we have to put our trust in Jesus. And these signs are given as demonstrations of what Jesus will do in each one of us if we trust in him. You see, that's the meaning of a sign. A sign, this word semion, sign, is a word that means a miracle that has a message. So it's not just a display of power, but it's got a message encoded in it from God. And that's actually, the message is more important than the particular miracle. And it's designed to reveal something about Christ and what he his power and what he will do in our lives. These signs are given to us so that we may believe and receive life. Receive the life that is revealed in the sign itself. In other words, he's saying, I will do this miracle for you too, if you believe in me. And th there are actually three main words for miracles. Uh, and we see that in the expression, you know, in Acts 2.22 or Hebrews 2.4, it talks about miracles, signs, and wonders. And these three words describe mir these miracles. The miracles is dunamis, and that focuses on the power that's displayed. Mighty works, miracles, dunamis. Then the word signs is semion, which is really talking about that these miracles encode a message for us. It, and thirdly, wonders is the word teras, which, which means these signs are meant to get our attention. They, they, they are to create awe in us, wonder, and therefore to grab our attention. God is trying to tell us something. And so we need to pay special attention to these signs. Notice the process. He says the, these signs are given first of all, so that we may believe. So the sign is to produce faith in Christ and what he can do for us. 
And if we believe in his name, then the result is that we would receive life. Praise God. And this word life is really, he, all the different signs reveal different aspects of the life of God that we can receive. Praise God. In this life and for eternity. You know, one classic example of this process is Thomas. It says in John 20 that Jesus came in verse 26, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. And he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas, and and so he was giving Thomas a sign of his resurrected Christ, risen from the dead. And, And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God, Thomas believed and he showed his faith by worshipping Jesus as God, my God and my Lord. And Jesus didn't tell him off for worshipping him. He accepted his worship, which proves that he is God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, he saw the sign of the resurrection. Therefore, he believed you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So Thomas had a genuine faith because he accepted Jesus as his Lord and his God. And he's saying, we too, even if we don't have that same sign ourselves, praise God, if we believe, we will receive the same blessing that Thomas received. So it's not just about the people who originally saw the sign and believed through that. It's for all people, if we will believe in Jesus through believing that sign, we will also receive the same blessing of life. Praise God. And so these signs are really important to create faith in our heart and then we will receive the blessing that is revealed in that miracle. So the first sign that we're going to look at today is the transformation of water into wine, whereby Jesus manifested his his glory and proved that he's the son of God. And it also reveals what his glory will do in our lives if we will receive him as our God. And so in verse 11, it says, this is the beginning, John 2, 11, the beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Hallelujah. So let's have a look at the story. It says in John 2 verse 1, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. We're going to see that she plays a key role in this wedding. She's actually in charge of it, we're going to see. And um, that's why she's given a special mention. In those days, wedding feasts would last a whole week. And uh, now it says, now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, this was a major problem. I mean, this was a major embarrassment. You know, hospitality was considered a very important thing. And this would have brought great shame on the couple if they ran out of wine halfway through the feast. And so Mary must have said this to Jesus with a knowing look in her eye. You know, Jesus, maybe Jesus can do something about him. She knew Jesus was special. And so he says, they've run out of wine. It wasn't just a bit of gossip. She was actually looking to Jesus, hoping he would do something. 
uh, hinting her, hinting to him, you should do something about this. And Jesus said to her, and this is usually misunderstood, woman, well, first of all, that sounds rude, doesn't it? Speaking to your mother and saying woman, but you've just got to understand that in the Hebrew culture that that would have been a term of respect, okay? Uh, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Uh, The King James says, what have I to do with you? (laughs) Um, it, It is actually, he says, my hour has not yet come. Now, this, this has been completely misunderstood. Jesus is not giving her the brush off here. It, does, it seems hard to understand in the English. It sounds like he's disinterested and uh, pushing her away. But that can't be right. Because when you look at Mary's response, you see that she is not at all discouraged by what's, uh, what Jesus said. And in fact, Jesus then immediately goes on and does the miracle. So we're clearly not understanding what's the dynamics here. So let, let me, uh, this, this will totally unveil this, what, this to you now, what I will share with you. Uh, literally, what he says is, what to me to you? What to me and to you? He pointed out, actually, that the situation was under her authority. We're, when we, as we read on, we'll see that Mary's in charge of this feast. And she is in charge of, of the whole thing. She's made the whole arrangements. And the situation was under her authority. Jesus was saying, my hour is not yet. In other words, throughout John's gospel, his hour is when he would die, rise again, be ascended into heaven and be the Lord of all. So that in a future time, he would have all authority. But right then, he functioned as a man under authority. And so in that situation, Mary was in authority. And so she was saying it was not for him to intrude unless she delegated authority to him and released him to work. And so just her hinting that, um, hinting that something should be done was not enough because he functioned under authority. He respected authority and he had, she had not given him the authority to act. You know, as the pastor of the church, if I went up to a church member and said, you know, I really don't like the color of this carpet, you know, it's, it's really worn out. Um, you know, that person might say, well, okay, what's it got to be, do with me? You know, uh, you're in charge. And, and really, a hint is not enough. I need to actually delegate the authority. If I want something done, I need to say, look, I want you to go and get a new carpet for the church. And then they would have the authority to act. And that's what Jesus is telling her. My hour has not come. I haven't come into my full authority yet. And so I need you to give me the authority if you want me to do something about this situation. And so... Uh, Jesus was hinting, sorry, Mary was hinting, in other words, you're the Messiah, do something. Jesus said, what to you to me? What's it got to do with me? It's up to you to give me the authority. And um, this is very important when we apply it to your life. And notice Mary got the message. She understood what he was saying because she would have seen his eyes and his body language. And notice what Mary said next. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. 
that proves that Mary was in charge of the whole thing. She was, she was the boss in that situation. And now, notice, she was delegating her authority to Jesus. She was basically handing the situation to Jesus and saying to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. In other words, Jesus, I'm giving you the authority to fix this situation. And so she delegated an authority to Jesus. She put all the servants under him. And so it's interesting that Jesus respects authority. In particular, he respects the authority you have over your own life. He, he respects your free will. And if you don't give him permission to do something in your life, he won't do it, as generally speaking. He wants to save you. He wants to bless you in many different ways. But if you um, are rejecting him, uh, you are deciding to handle your life yourself, rather than allowing him to take charge of your different situations, then he will respect that free will, that authority that you have, and he'll stand back and, and let the wine run out uh, and let things fall into chaos. Um, but if you delegate authority to him, if you give him the situation and say, Lord, you're, let you be Lord in this situation, then he is released to turn your water into wine. That's what's going on here. And so you'll see that when people were healed, it was usually because people came to him and worshipped him and gave him permission, as it were, to authority, to act in their lives. Uh, and so when, as soon as Mary gave him the right to act, he worked the wonder. Let's see what happened in verse 6. Now there were set set there were um, six water pots of stone according to the manner of the purification of Jew, Jews containing 20 to 30 gallons apiece. So it's, it's amazing that there's almost 200 gallons of water here that Jesus turns into wine as the first miracle. Um, and, uh, in a, and it was proper wine too, but it would have been spread around lots of people. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. By the way, the master of the feast wasn't the one in charge. He was the chief servant. He was the, uh, the butler, as it were. Um, and they took it. And... Um, they must have been really nervous, the servants, you know, handing it to the master of the feast. And as if, if it was just water, he wouldn't be very impressed. But uh, this master of the feast, he was the, the wine taster, if you like. He was the one to test the quality of the wine that it's suitable for serving to the guests. And when the master of the feast, we might say the head waiter, had tasted the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who, who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior uh, comes next. But you've kept the good wine until now. So this wasn't just ordinary wine, this was the top-notch wine. And if you let Jesus turn your water into wine, it will be top-notch wine, full of love, joy, peace, and every wonderful thing. And so this is the sign. So what's the message of the sign? First of all, of course, Jesus was affirming marriage. 
he, and the celebration of life. He's not a killjoy. This running out of wine would be a disaster at, uh, at this wedding. Um, and so wine in the Bible represents joy. Uh, drunkenness is forbidden, of course, but wine actually uh, re refers to um, the wine running out, as it were, is our human condition without Christ. The, the natural wine runs out. We lose our joy. And, and, you know, natural wine brings a certain happiness, but it speaks of the greater wine of the Holy Spirit who gives us real life and real joy. Praise God. So natural wine, satisfaction, it runs out, just like this wine ran out. Um, but Jesus wants to give us, wants to create his best wine in us. Praise God. And so this miracle re reveals Christ's power tra to transform each one of us because the starting material was unpromising. These six stone pots represent man. Six is the number of man. Man was created on the sixth day. And these stone pots, all they had was water in them. And so this shows man short of spiritual perfection, six, one short of seven, which is spiritual perfection. Man without God is empty. He has this human body, this pot, but all it has inside it is his natural life, his stagnant water, that without the presence of God is just stagnant water. But through this sign, it demonstrates Christ has the power to recreate in us and turn our water into wine. And he does this, first of all, with the new birth. He can make our, in, he can change us on the inside from water to wine. Praise God. That's his glory. He's our creator. And he can fill our hearts with the wine of his Holy Spirit. Praise God. And so you can imagine what happened in that stone pot full of water. The Spirit of God was hovering over that pot. And when Jesus spoke the word, that Spirit of God changed the water into wine. Hallelujah. And that's a picture of each one of us. But I want you to notice how it works. This is the new birth. Praise God. The next chapter, John 3, Jesus is talks about being born again. And how does it work? It works by the Spirit of God. When man receives the Word of God through the Gospel, then the Spirit of God, the wind of God, blows into his spirit and recreates his spirit. Hallelujah. And he enters the kingdom of God. But I want you to notice the message in this miracle, that the new birth, and in fact, there may be other parts of your life, uh, you know, that is like stagnant water. And Jesus has the power to turn your water into wine. Praise God. So let's say right now you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Notice it was only when Mary, who was in charge, gave Jesus the authority to do the miracle that he actually did it. He wanted to bless this married couple. He wanted to bless the people, but he couldn't do it unless he was given the authority. And, and, and so in the same way, Jesus wants to save you. He wants to change you, your spirit from water to wine. 
He wants to fill you with his spirit. But he can only do it if you receive him as Lord. If you delegate that authority to him. If you say, Lord, I can't do it myself. I can't save myself. But I submit to you as my Lord and my Savior. And I give you permission to do whatever you want in my life. And the moment you give him the authority, the moment you bow your will and give him the right, then he will come by his spirit into the stagnant water in, in your spirit and turn it into wine, praise God, and the wine that will cause you to rejoice. But as I say again, it's uh, not just the new birth. It may be there's an area of your life that's just stagnant because it's just you. You're just involved in your own works and your own flesh and you're trying to do everything yourself and you realize, hey, I've just run out. I've run out of steam. I've run out of water. You know, I've run, I've run out of joy uh, because I'm trying to do this myself. And you, like Mary, you say, Lord, whatever you want to do, just do it. I hand the situation over to you. I'm going to give up trying to do it, trying to worry about it. I surrender this whole situation to you. And then you allow the Holy Spirit to come in and turn the stagnant water into wine. Praise God. When we call him Lord over our hearts, over parts of our lives, then the Spirit will enter into us like he entered into those pots and he turns our water into wine. He breathes his life into us and he fills us with the wine of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. And so when we believe in Jesus as the Son of God who can turn our water into wine through this sign, this sign is for you. It's to tell you what he'll do for you. If you believe in his name, you will receive life through believing in his name. You'll receive that transformation on the inside of you of that water to wine. Through your faith, he will give you life. His glory will be released in you to do the miracle revealed by this sign. This is true for all the signs, by the way. This is how to understand what they're all about. So the message of this sign is that Jesus will do the same miracle for you if you will receive him. Praise God. The Bible says, if for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. When you believe in him, when you trust in him, he gives you eternal life on the inside of you. You have the Spirit of God, the wine of God comes into the inside of you. And, and in John 4 verse 13, he says, whoever drinks of the natural water of this world will thirst again. Any enjoyment you get from this world is only temporal. But, he says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water I'll give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. In other words, he wants to fill your heart. He wants to change you on the inside and create this wonderful spring of everlasting life on the inside of you. He wants you to receive his real life. Praise God. And so the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, 
if you will accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and invite him to come in, he is a new creation, a new creature. Old things are passed away. The old stagnant water is removed. And behold, new, all things become new. God gives you that new wine, that new life. Praise God. And the key to the whole miracle is revealed in Jesus' interaction with Mary. That so, so often is misunderstood. People just assume, you know, that Jesus was giving Mary a hard time and, you know, eventually somehow Mary twisted Jesus' arm to do the miracle. And they, that completely misunderstands the situation. Mary was in charge of the feast. And Jesus functioned under, he respected her authority. And, you know, hinting to Jesus, Jesus, I need you to do something in my life. That's not enough. You see, Jesus doesn't directly respond to that because you haven't given him the authority to act. Notice Mary hinting to Jesus, hey, they've run out of wine. You know, it'd be nice if you did something. That's not enough. Mary had to take decisive action and hand the authority to Jesus. She said to the servants, whatever he says, do it. In other words, she totally handed the situation to Jesus. Some of you, you're hoping God will do something in the situation, but you're still holding on to it yourself. You haven't released it to Jesus, you see. You're, you're worrying about it yourself, and you're hoping he'll do something, but he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to give him the authority to act. He's waiting for you to surrender the situation into your into his hands, to surrender your heart into his hands and say, Lord, I can't fix myself. But Lord, I give you permission to come in and take charge of me. Take charge of this situation. Lord, I, I dedicate myself to you. I commit myself to you. I cast this whole mess onto you and I surrender to you. Lord, you are now Lord of this situation. I'm trusting you to deal with it. You've got to, by faith, hand it over to him and trust that he is going to deal with it. Take your hands off it. Trust him to take the leadership. And he will. And as soon as you give it over to him, he will move. And he will turn the water into wine. He'll turn the whole thing around. He'll release the Spirit of God into the situation. And you will be turned from defeat into victory. You'll be turned from water into wine. You'll be turned from despair into joy. Jesus can turn it around in a second, but you have to give him that permission. He wants to bless you. He wants to turn your water into wine. He wants to transform that stagnant water that is just our natural life and what we can do in our own strength. He wants to transform that into something awesome something tasty, something full of fruit. Notice wine is fruit. He wants to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you, the love, the joy, the peace, the goodness, the faithfulness. He wants to produce that in you. You can't manufacture love yourself. You can't manufacture joy yourself. You can't manufacture peace yourself. You just can't. It's just stagnant water, what you can produce. But if you invite Jesus into your heart, he will turn that water into wine, into love, into joy, into peace. He and only he can do that because God is love. He's the source of all love. You can't imitate these things, you can, but you can let Jesus make 
that in you. So God bless you, and may your water be turned into wine. Ask Jesus, he'll do it for you. Call upon his name, and you won't be disappointed. Amen. Thank you.